0: Kids, you can head out now to uh, children's worship. The rest of us are going to be looking uh, this morning at Numbers uh, chapter six, verses twenty through twenty-two through twenty-seven. That text is printed uh, in the bulletin, and um, uh, as we read this text this morning, you'll probably have a sense of just how uh, familiar this is. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a well-known, uh, uh, well-known passage. So, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So one of the things that uh, we read this text, it's a familiar text and it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the, the meaning of this text is that God blesses his people. Let me say that again, uh, that the meaning of this text is that God blesses his people, that God himself is a blessing to his people. Um, One of the uh, uh, things that is uh, interesting about this is uh, why this text is placed, where it is, why it is something that is repeated and must be repeated often to us and and what's what's the point behind all of this? Why why is this uh, so necessary? And so so as as we look at this today, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the nature of blessing, the nature of our reception of that blessing, and uh, whether we actually take God at His word uh, that He is a blesser uh, of His people. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about and and kind of collecting. Uh, Uh, in my family is um, just stories about uh, how the Lord has been faithful over the years to people in my family. And so uh, it dawned on me uh, a few months ago that I'd never really heard from my dad uh, when exactly he came to faith, you know, uh, because he was always, I mean, He's always such a pillar of witness and truth to me. It never occurred to me that, you know, he wasn't ever a Christian. You know, he he, he had to always have been this way, you know. And so I asked him about it. And he told me that the summer uh, in 1935, uh, when his mother died, uh, they were in the midst of a terrible drought, terrible. And uh, we hear about droughts, and that means that the price of vegetables are going to go up or that uh, uh, we can't water our grass as much. Uh, but they depended upon their crop to live. In fact, my dad, the thing that my dad ate the most of when he was growing up was uh, the corn that they grew, they ground it up, and they ate mush. That's what he ate. Um, and so they were in a drought, and they were about to lose everything. 1935, not one of the best time, best years ever certainly in our family, but not in America either. And uh, so the farmers that were in the little holler where my my dad grew up gathered together in the front yard of my grandfather's house, and they had a prayer meeting. And they decided that they would pray for rain. And so my dad, who was five, almost six years old, was there, and he said that he was so uh, – he he just wanted to see what was going to happen because my grandfather, his dad – who never went to school, ever, all the education he had, he, he bought with some money he scraped together as a teenager, uh, prayed, and my dad said, I don't remember a lot about what he prayed, but what he prayed was, God, that it would rain, and Lord, would you bless us with so much rain that this gully, and a gully is a big ditch, this gully in front of the house would run over with water. And so my dad's sitting there looking at that thinking, well, that ain't ever happening. It hasn't rained in weeks. It's dry as it can be. This will never happen. And in his mind, the way he remembers it is, within a day of them praying that it began to rain and it began to rain and it began to rain. And he remembered what his dad had prayed, that God would send enough rain that it would overflow the gully in front of their house. So as a five, almost six year old, he decided, well, let's see. And so he went out there and stood by the gully and waited for it to fill up. And it did. And it overflowed its banks. And so he he's he's telling me that he's like, you know, I, you know, as a five or six year old, I mean, I I know the ditch. It's still there in front of the the old house and I, I know what it what it looks like and that was a pretty impressive rainstorm to fill, fill that ditch up. And so th- my dad, I said to him, I'm like, so it took something like that, that isn't that like magic? That's not faith. That's like viewing God in, a, in sort of a magical way. And he was like, oh no, it wasn't that way at all because um, it was clear to uh, to me, even as a five or six year old, that my existence, whether we were gonna get the corn in that year or not, depended on whether it rained. And when it rained, in response to the prayers of God's people, he's like, for the first time in my life ever, I had a sense that God was for me. Now, this is from a little boy who watched his mother be buried just a few weeks earlier. So I found it fascinating today that we're going to talk about blessing and we're going to talk about the fact that lord the lord is for us even as we just sang a song of lament saying how long are you really who you say you are well the thing that you need to know today before before you leave before anything else that happens here this morning is that the lord knows you ask those questions And the Lord understands that. And that's why he puts these kinds of texts in his scriptures so that you will know and I will know, but not just so that you will know and I will know, but because when we forget and we will forget that God is a blesser of his people and that he has blessed us and that he will continue to bless us, that he will repeat that to us and show it to us Over and over and over again, because in his patience and in his grace and in his mercy, God continues to remind us and to continues to show us exactly who he is, exactly what his character is. And his character is turned towards us, is for us. And in such as such, he is a blesser of his people. So let's, let's let's dig into this text today. So what exactly does it mean to be blessed? If I were to ask you this morning, you know, not, not are you blessed uh, because I'm the pastor and if I ask you that, you're going to say yes, whether you think you are or not. But uh, what does it mean? What does it mean to be uh, blessed? What, well, for some people, it means to have enough, right? So we're blessed if, if we have enough to eat, if we have a roof over our heads, we have water to drink and, Uh, We're okay. For some of us, it means to be blessed is simply to be safe, to be able to live and and see the risks that are around in our world that uh, many of those are mitigated. Now, for some of us, blessed to have enough would not be blessing. That would just be kind of maintenance. But blessing is to have more than enough, right? That means uh, God has blessed me. And and that means there in some sense... Whatever it is that I, I desire in life, I have an abundance of it, and it's not just that the risks have been minimized, but I'm actually secure that I am in, in live my life in in such a way that nothing bad, nothing difficult, nothing hard can uh, can come to me. Now, these issues that that we think about here have been issues that have driven and shaped human beings since uh, our first parents were thrown out of Eden, right? Uh, they they go out and they look at as they're thrown out of the garden and the the thorns begin to spring out of the ground and the pests begin to grow and colds and sicknesses and all of those things uh, begin to happen. And so we ask the question, how am I going to make it? Will I be blessed? Will this God bless me? And how can he bless me, right? Not not only will he bless me, will he come through? But but you know, given my track record and my own failures and my own inability, is he going to bless me? Because often the way we think about blessing is that blessing is simply God's response to our good behavior, or blessing is God's response. To to how well we we you know we we've obeyed him to how how well we have responded to him and certainly there is blessing in obedience but God blesses his people and is for his people and his relationship with them is not simply based upon our behavior or our earning it right next slide. So, so one of the things that you have to see is that even in the curse, when God comes and addresses Adam and Eve and their sin, he says a word of blessing to them. And, and when he comes and he confronts them with the, their sin, he says, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, let's keep going, Megan. I don't want to run over time. Keep, keep going. Keep going. There you go. So so here's the, here's the thing that you have to see about that. Even in the midst of that great curse, even in the midst of that great, shameful, terrible day, God is remaining faithful to his commitment to bless his people because he says, listen, I will bring through the seed of the woman a redeemer. I will bring through the seed of the woman someone who will come and who will crush the serpent's head and bring about the total blessing, complete blessing upon this creation that Adam and Eve forfeited when, uh, when, when, when they disobeyed God. So, so the fact of the matter is, as we, as we look at this, one of the things that you have to see is that even when, uh, These difficult things come our way even when we fail and even when we are experiencing some curses as a result of our disobedience, the determination, the overall determination of God to bless his people remains. Even in the midst of the curse, he's blessing them. So so whatever it may mean to you, however you may think about blessing today, and I know some of you are out there thinking, Steve's gonna make me feel bad because I don't think I'm blessed. Do you hear that? Do you think that's a little weird? I think that's weird. I'm not going to make you feel bad because you don't think you're blessed. I I can't help you with that. Uh, There's not a pill you can take for that. There's probably not even a counselor you can go to for that. You need the spirit of God to change you. (laughs) So if you want to be that hard and that cynical today, wow. Wow. But let me just say to you, the hardest rock, if the water drips on it long enough, bores a hole in it. So I'm here boring a hole in your hard heart today by the power of the Spirit of God, all right? So so whatever this word for blessing, a few things jump out here. First, the Lord's blessing, his statement here when he tells Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people, precedes anything the people do, right? He, he says, you know, you say to the people, whenever you get them together, whenever they're worshiping, whatever they're doing, say this often that the Lord is blessing his people, right? Uh, and this precedes anything else they've done. And he is moving toward them in ever greater intensity and blessing, right? He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you. When when was the last time somebody uh, uh, somebody's face shone? Uh, because they were so happy to... To see someone and be gracious to you, to be, to be, uh, to not hold your sins against you. The Lord lifts up his countenance that when he sees you and thinks of you, he looks up at you and that he gives you his peace, right? So he's moving toward them in ever greater intensity and blessing. And one of the things that you have to see about this is this is not a prayer. He's not telling, um, uh, Aaron to say, God, will you bless us? God, will you make your face shine upon us? God, will you lift up your countenance upon us? He's saying these things that are already true. This is the way God is. He is toward you. He is moving towards you. His face is upon you. He lights up when he sees you. He delights you. Now, now think about it for a second. These are not delightful people. Just a few months before, they made a golden calf. It won't be long before we see them complaining against Moses and murmuring. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're tired. You know, murmur, murmur, murmur. Moses is lame. God's lame. Egypt was better. You know, the, It's you know, the, they're giants in the land. What are we going to do, right? And so, so God says to, knows that about them and us. And he says, you're going to have to say to them over and over again that the Lord blesses them, that he moves towards them, that he is for them, that he's present with them. Now, One of the things that we have to see about this, and this is this is one of the things that uh, you you may miss in this, um, is kind of the attitude and the orientation of God toward his people. Now, I do tons of premarital counseling in my office. And one of the things that happens in my office is there's a lot of chairs in my office because there's a lot of meetings in there. And so when people come in to do their first premarital counseling, they ask me, where do you want me to sit? I'm like, oh, anywhere. Now, I'm going to judge their relationship based on where they sit. Okay? You know they're in trouble if two people are coming for premarital counseling and one sits over here and one sits over here. I've had that happen before. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I got my work cut out for me on this one. But then most people will at least sit next to each other, but then they will spend the whole time turned away from each other. They never touch each other. They never look look at each other. There's no orientation. They'll even talk about each other and not look at one another. They'll even talk to one another and not look at each other. And they never touch each other. Now, listen, you're an engaged couple. You ought to want to touch each other. And so when you're not doing that, when you're not oriented towards each other, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. We got trouble here. I just like the little kid at uh, your uh, dinner table that when I pray at the end, I open my eyes and I look at them to see how they're praying. And I look to see, are they holding hands? Did they reach out and grab each other when they, when we prayed? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And sometimes it would be hard to because they, you know, told each other they were jerks in the midst of the counseling that we did. But, but the fact is, is there an orientation toward them? Because what we see in this text is, is that God has turned towards his people. He sees us and he sees us with delight. He doesn't see us with disdain. He sees us where as he looks upon his people because of his grace and his mercy and because he has set his love and his faithfulness upon us, his face lights up with, when he looks at us. So one of the things that you have to see about this is that this has to be repeated over and over and over again. And and honestly, I, it's something that I have to say to people over and over and over again, because for most of us, we do not believe that God is for us. We just don't believe it. Somehow or other, we think, or, or that God is somehow for us because we've behaved in a certain way. But because we don't believe God is for us, it makes us fearful. It makes us anxious. It makes us stingy. It makes us overly careful with our resources and our love and our affection, because who knows, we live in this place where there's no safety net, right? Where there's no God who has promised and said, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will bless you. I will take care of you, right? They'll forget. But there's something else to notice about this text too, is that it's actually a poem and it's structured like a poem. The first line, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, in uh, in Hebrew has three words. The second line, uh, "The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you," has five. And then the last line, "The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace," has seven. Three, five, and seven, building upon itself, getting bigger and bigger. And you know there are those books out there that take these numbers from you know the these Old Testament books, and if you put the numbers together and the letters together, you know, it'll spell like Barack Obama or, you know, uh, market crash in 2018 or <laughs> something dumb like that. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this is if you take the word Lord out of each one of these things, then you have 2, 4, and 6, which equals 12. I don't know if that's a thing or not. but I just wanted you to know that I can manipulate the Bible with the best of them. Right? So, uh, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Uh, some book I read this week said there was something about that. Anyway, uh, it's certainly for all of us. The blessing is not just corporately, but it is for each and every one of us, the 12 tribes, all of us. But the fact of the matter is that if, if we don't hear and we don't see often that God is for us and that he's blessing us, you will become a cynical, hardened, fearful, anxious person. You just will. Next slide. So uh, notice also how many times the words the Lord are repeated, right? And so so the fact is what we have to see about this is, is that, that all the things in life that are worth having come from God. Let me say that again. All the things in life that are worth having come from God. And and all the things that don't come from God ultimately are not worth having. We will sing at the end of this service like we all do, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So what this text recognizes is any good thing that is in your life, it is there because God gave it to you. It is there because in Christ, he has determined to bless you and supply everything that you need. And so what you have to see in this text is not so much a, a promise of God that he's going to bless you or that he has blessed you and you need to open your eyes to that, but it's more a statement about his character. This is who he is. It's, it's, not, it's, it's simply a recognition that this God has turned toward us and that he is for us in Jesus Christ and that, 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 he, that he demonstrates that most profoundly in Jesus coming into our world, dying our death and rising again for us. And so this is not just what he's going to do, but it is, it is who he is. So what is the source of all goodness in life? Well, these people are going to forget over and over again that, uh, who this is. And in fact, as they get ready to go into uh, the promised land, they're going to be terrified because there are giants in the land and walled cities, and they're going to think we can't do anything about that. You know, I know God says that he's, he's for us, but you can't trust him. You can't trust him. And so we think, well, you know, we we would never doubt God in this way. Except um, I read, this is my, well, bear with me. Um, This is my favorite, one of my favorite gospel stories. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. Doesn't sound like blessing to me he, that is Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. This Lord wants to bless his people because he sees them and he sees their need and he wants to bless them because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, what is wrong with you? How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And so he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And just as a sidelight with this, one of the things that I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I know it's hard. We don't have much. What does he say? What do you have? He didn't ask them to create bread. What do you got? Let's look at our resources. Let's see what God's already doing, what he's already given, what, what blessing he's already provided. And they're looking at the blessing that he's already provided, and it looks like nothing, right? How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Now, that is unbelievable, that that word, they were satisfied. Who knows anybody that's ever satisfied? I don't. They were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalman, Dalmanutha. Now you would think, okay, that's a sweet story, Steve. You know, you know you're gonna you're gonna encourage us now uh, to know that God feeds people miraculously. Well let's let's keep looking. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Now he's just fed all these people, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Are you really God? Do a miracle. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. How ironic. He just fed 4,000. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. And so you're like, well, okay, I'm not like the Pharisees. Now they, that is the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. They just had a bunch of baskets of bread left over, right? But they forgot him. And you can imagine what this does, right? You know, blame. One word, blame. I blame you. It's your fault. Because if we can identify whose fault it is, that makes everything better, doesn't it? It does for me. It's your fault. Oh, man, I feel so much better, right? Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. You didn't bring enough bread. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, here's the thing. You hear that and you say, see, he's judging me. He's really harsh. Well, if he was really harsh, he would say, look, I fed 5,000. Now I fed 4,000. You don't get it because you're worried about where the bread is. I am a bread factory. You do not have to worry about bread. But because you are worried about bread, I reject you. I'm done with you. I'm going to go find somebody who has a clue. No. He asks the question, don't you understand? Don't you see? You see, the intention, the heart, the direction of God is toward his people, even people who are forgetful, even people who demand a sign, even people who have just been provided for over and over again, who refuse to see that. The Lord gives to his people because he loves them. And the Lord loves them because he loves them. When I am done and at the end of my life of ministry, And someone asked me, what is the biggest problem in the church? The biggest problem in the church is not that you can't get along. Not that you don't give enough. Not that you don't sacrifice or serve enough. It's because you don't believe God loves you. John Calvin said this that men and women, boys and girls, are not easily convinced that God is for them. And so, to remove all doubt, he gave that which was most precious to him, so that they would remove all doubt that he is for us. And so, if you ask the question, How can he be for me? you're close. because you have a sense of the depth and the passion that it takes and that it took for Jesus to come for you, to live for you, to die for you, to rise again for you. The people need to hear that God blesses them. The people need to be reminded that he is for them. At every turn, because our lives are difficult and because there are challenges before us, it is good for us to know that the character of our God, that the core of his being, who he is, is one who blesses and blesses people like us, even forgetful people. Let's pray. Lord, we we forget. We harden ourselves. Uh, and we even get a sick sense of, of self-righteousness that somehow or other we can stand apart. And yet here you are reminding us over and over again that you are for us, that you are with us. Lord, forgive us for being stingy with our love and our gifts. Forgive us for hoarding because we're afraid you won't give. Forgive us for taking your blessing for granted And forgive us for thinking that somehow or other we could do enough to earn your blessing. Jesus, thanks today uh, that you repeat and you come near over and over and over again to tell us that you bless us, that you provide for us, that you will give us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Help us. But you know that about us already. You know that we're weak. You know that we're hard. You know that we are doubters. And so I pray that you would bear with us. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you continue with people like us. Bless us now, we pray. Continue to bless us. Be who you are to us, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.